Well, friends, would you uh, turn with me, please, to the words that we read in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, and reading again at verse uh, 14. Revelation 3 from verse uh, 14. We read, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. In 2004, U2 released their album How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, which was dedicated to their lead singer Bono's late father, Bob Hewson. One of the songs that they included on the album was a tribute to this strong and fiercely independent Irishman entitled Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. And and I often think that that summarizes the Christian life. That a Christian is someone who recognizes that they can't make it on their own. That they need Jesus. This morning we're concluding our studies in Seven Dangers Facing a Healthy Gospel Church. And we're looking at the danger of self-sufficiency. The danger of self-sufficiency. We're looking at these verses under three headings. The The description, then the danger, and finally the declaration. First, the description. Look at verse 14. Here the risen Jesus provides a description of who he is. We can start by noting who the letter is addressed to at the beginning of verse 14. It's addressed to an angel. Throughout this series, we have said that the word angel, it doesn't simply refer to a heavenly being. It can also refer to a messenger, one who speaks on behalf of another. And that is the sense in which the word is being used here in Revelation 3. This letter is addressed to a messenger, and it's addressed to the messenger or angel of the church in Laodicea. It is addressed to a church leader, but it's also addressed to the congregation whom he represents as a whole... And the particular congregation on this occasion is the church that's based in the city of Laodicea. Laodicea was a a city around 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia that we looked at last week. It was a prominent city. It was a prosperous city. It was famous for its trade, famous for its wool production, famous for its medical school. And as a result of their prosperity, the city officials were in a position to refuse any financial aid from Rome when the city experienced an earthquake in AD 60. We can also note who the letter is addressed from in the second half of verse 14. As we've studied these letters, we've said that each has come from the risen and exalted Jesus. And here he describes himself as being the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Uh, These titles all emphasize the truth and the trustworthiness of Jesus. He's the one who is committed to God and committed to his people. Faithful to God and faithful to his people. He also describes himself as being the beginning of God's creation. That's an interesting title. The church in Laodicea had very close links with the church in Colossae. And in about 62 AD, 30 years earlier... The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Colossian church and he spoke to them about Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, the one who is before all things. In other words, Paul was saying Jesus is the source of creation. Jesus is the origin of creation. 
Jesus is the one who comes first in creation. And now, 30 years later, Paul is, Jesus is speaking to this church in nearby Laodicea, and he is reminding them of these same truths. Reminding them that he is the beginning of God's creation. Reminding them that he is the one who takes first place as the source of creation. Now friends, as we consider this verse, we've been given a reminder of who Jesus is. A reminder of who Jesus is. That's what we see in Revelation 3. The risen Jesus reminds the church in Laodicea that he is the one who is faithful and the one who is first. That is his timely reminder to a church who, as we'll soon see, are losing an awareness of their need for him. They're seeing less and less need for him. And he is saying to them, remember who I am. I am the one who is first and I am the one who is faithful. And that is a very important reminder for ourselves. The risen Jesus is the one who is faithful. He is the Amen. He is the faithful and true witness. Doug Kelly writes, Our society is full of people taking all kinds of vows and not meaning them, not keeping them. Jesus is not like that. He carries through to the death and into the next world every promise that he makes to you. Jesus is faithful. And he is not simply faithful, he is also first. He is the one who occupies the first place in terms of rank and in terms of time in his creation. And he occupies that first place because he is the source, he is the author, he is the origin point of his creation. Joel Beatty writes, There is no higher power, no more exalted being, no one to be feared or honoured more than this Christ. He is first. And the question, friends, that I want to begin today asking, friends, is do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? I'm not asking, do you know about him? I'm asking, do you know him personally? Do you know the Jesus who is faithful? The Jesus who remains committed to his people when they can be less than committed to him? Do you know the Jesus who is faithful? And do you know the Jesus who is first? The Jesus who is the source, the Jesus who is the sustainer, not of some things, not of most things, not even of 99.9% of things, but the Jesus who is the source and the sustainer of all things. The, the very fact that we take a breath just now is because he is sustaining the breath in our lungs. Friends, do you know this Jesus? Do you know the Jesus who is faithful? Do you know the Jesus who is first? That's the description. And then we come second to the danger. Look at verses 15 to 20. Where the risen Jesus highlights the danger facing the church in Laodicea. Uh, verses 15 to 17 we hear the concern. Uh, the risen Jesus begins by making an announcement to the church in Laodicea at the beginning of verse 15. He's the one who's the beginning of all things and as such he, he knows all things. And he now tells the church in Laodicea that he knows their works. Just as he knew the works of the churches in Ephesus, 
and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia that we've looked at over these last few weeks and months, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. And having made that announcement, the risen Jesus gives his assessment on their works. Look at verses 15 and 16. He concludes that their works are neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. They're tepid. Now that's an interesting image. The city of Hierapolis had hot springs that were used for medicinal purposes. The city of Colossae had cold streams that were used for drinking. The city of Laodicea had neither hot water nor cold water. It had no water supply and so water had to be pumped in from elsewhere. And by the time that water was pumped in, it was lukewarm. It couldn't be used for medicinal purposes. It couldn't be used for drinking. And Jesus now tells the church in Laodicea that their works, their service is a lot like their water supply. They're lukewarm and they're not much use. And he goes even further and he says that because they're lukewarm, he is going to spit them out of his mouth. When I was studying in St. Andrews, I used to live with uh, two other guys, Adam and Mike. And we used to spend our Saturday afternoons watching Sky Sports. That was typical Saturday afternoon, watching the Premier League on Sky Sports and And we would get a few friends round to to watch the matches with us. And we would, uh, Adam would try to be the perfect host and he would offer to make everyone a cup of tea while we were having sausage sausage baguettes, a bit like we have our brunches on a Sunday. So we would have these sausage baguettes and Adam would go off to make the cup of tea. But like every other one of us, he would get so engrossed in watching the match that he would forget all about the tea that he had left brewing away. And, and suddenly he would remember it and he would bring this, this uh, cup of tea back into the room and, and you would take one mouthful of this uh, lukewarm concoction and you'd, you'd feel like throwing up. You'd feel like vomiting. It wasn't any use for anything. It wasn't a hot drink. It wasn't a cold drink. It was this lukewarm, tepid drink. And and that is what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. He is saying that their works, their Christian services, is like a lukewarm drink. It makes them want to throw up. It makes them want to be sick. And the reason Jesus then highlights the attitude that is evident within this lukewarm Laodicean church. Look at verse 17. He starts by drawing their attention to what they were saying about themselves. They were saying, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. We've already said that the city of Laodicea was a very affluent city, a very prosperous city. And the Christians in Laodicea were very affluent. They were very prosperous. They were convinced and they were confident that they were fine. They didn't need anything. And Jesus proceeds to draw their attention to what he says about them. And he tells them that they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. They might be materially prosperous and Jesus is saying you might be so prosperous materially but spiritually you are are impoverished. You've got nothing. We can move then from the concern of Jesus to the counsel of Jesus in verses 18 to 20. Look at the advice that the risen Jesus provides. Verse 18. He starts by telling them to buy gold from him that's refined in fire. 
He's offering them true spiritual riches that money can't buy. He continues by telling them to buy white garments from him to hide the shame of their nakedness. He is offering them a covering for their sin, a covering for their guilt. And finally, he tells them to buy eyesal from him so that they might see. He is offering to open their eyes to, to spiritual reality. John Stott writes, Here is welcome news indeed for naked blind beggars. They are poor, but Christ has gold. They are naked, but Christ has clothes. They are blind, but Christ has eyes off. Let them no longer trust in their banks, their Phrygian eye powders, their clothing factories. Let them come to him. He can enrich their poverty, clothe their nakedness, heal their blindness. He can open their eyes to perceive a spiritual world of which they have never dreamed. He can cover their sin and their shame and make them fit to partake of the inheritance of the saints in light. He can enrich them with life and with life abundant. And having given that word of advice, the risen Jesus gives an assurance. Look at verse 19. The words Jesus has just spoken have sounded very hard, very harsh. None of us would like to hear Jesus saying to us, the works that you're doing make me want to throw up. None of us would like to hear Jesus saying to us, you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. But Jesus assures these Christians in Laodicea that he has been saying this to them. Look at what he says, verse 19, because he reproves and disciplines those whom he loves. He cares about them so much that he's not willing that they allow that they remain in this condition. This is the tough side of Jesus' love. Where he is willing to speak hard things to his people to wake them up. He doesn't gloss over their spiritual malady. He doesn't gloss over their spiritual sickness. He tells them the hard truths about themselves. And finally, we can hear the appeal that the risen Jesus makes. Look at verse 20. Jesus claims that he is presently standing at the door and knocking. And he says that if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in and eat with them. Now, we need to understand, friends, what Jesus is saying here. Can I offend some of you? I will anyway. This is not an evangelistic text where Jesus is knocking on the door of the hearts of unconverted men and women and saying, please let me into your life. That's not what this is. This is Jesus knocking on the door of hearts of individual Christians and an entire congregation who have thrown him out and he's saying, please let me in. And he's appealing to them to let him in so that their relationship with him, their fellowship with him, their intimacy with him, their communion with him might be renewed and restored. He is asking to be readmitted into their lives. And you know, friends, he is asking to be readmitted into their congregation. You know the phrase, Elvis has left the building. Well, it would seem that Jesus has left the building in Laodicea. Not because he wanted to, but because they didn't want him. And he's now saying, 
Please let me in. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being confronted with the danger of becoming self-sufficient. The danger of becoming self-sufficient. That's what we see in Revelation 3. The church in Laodicea are accused of being neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm and Jesus feels sick as he assesses their condition, as he assesses their works. They're claiming to be rich, claiming to be prosperous, claiming to not be needing anything, while in reality they are spiritually wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. And Jesus urges them to just do business with him, open the door to him, let him in. And that's such an important caution for ourselves. Self-reliance, self-sufficiency is a great danger facing every congregation. Juan Sanchez writes, As a church, the wealth of resources available to us may tempt us to rely on our own efforts and creativity to reach our community or grow our church. And that is why we need to be reminded continually that the greatest danger facing the church today is not government legislation, It is not outright religious persecution. It is not even false teachers or bad doctrine. It is prosperity that deceives us into self-sufficiency. Friends, that is why I emphasize our prayer meetings every week. And you might get fed up of me emphasizing our prayer meetings every week. But our prayer meetings are a mark of our Jesus dependence where we come together as a congregation and we say to the living Lord, we need you. We need you as a congregation. But self-reliance, self-sufficiency is also a great danger facing every Christian. My nephew loves Lego. And, and I'll sometimes ask him if he needs any help. And he'll always reply, I can do it myself. He's a typical, stubborn, independent farrier. That's what we're like. We don't like hell. And sadly, friends, that is how we can be toward Jesus. We, we push him to the periphery of our lives, saying, I can do it myself. I, I don't really need you. One mark of this is neglecting the habit of prayer in our lives, where, where we don't begin the day saying to him, Lord, I need you for this day. Or maybe closing the day with him, saying, Lord, I need you for the day that lies ahead. Or maybe even praying to him throughout the day, saying, Lord, I need you for this situation. I need you for that situation. Or another evidence of such self-sufficiency is when we start neglecting meeting with the Lord's people. We, We treat church attendance as a matter of personal comfort personal convenience rather than a means of grace that the Lord has given. The Lord has given us one another that we might support each other, that we might be a blessing to one another, that we might be an encouragement to one another. Maybe today, friend, you can see that you've become a little self-sufficient and you've been pushing Jesus further and further to the periphery of your life. And maybe today is giving you that opportunity to open the door to him and let him in again. Maybe today is giving you an opportunity to to just say to Jesus, Lord, I have been so, so foolish. I thought I could go it on my own. And I need you so much. 
This morning, I want to ask each of us as individuals and as a congregation, are we self-sufficient or are we Jesus-dependent? Shortly before he died, Johnny Cash recorded the song, Help Me, where he sang, O Lord, help me to walk another mile, another mile. I'm tired of walking all alone. Lord, help me to smile, another smile, just one more smile. Don't think I can do things on my own. I never thought I needed help before. I thought I could get by by myself. But now I know I just can't take it anymore. And with a humble heart on bended knee, I'm begging you, Lord, please, for help. Here is a man singing about his dependence on the Lord for everything. And the question is, friend, is that true of you? Is that true of me? Are we a self-sufficient people or a Jesus-dependent people? That's the danger. And then third and finally, we have the declaration. Look at verses 21 and 22. Here the risen Jesus declares what will happen to those who act on his words. Verse 21, we hear the encouragement. The risen Jesus speaks now about the one who conquers and keeps his word to the end. Beginning of verse 21, that language of conquering or overcoming describes a living and active faith that perseveres to the end. On this occasion, it describes a person who just opens the door to Jesus and says, I need you. I need you for every step of the day, every step of the way. And here the risen Jesus says that he will allow the one who conquers to sit with him on his throne. Here's the one who has conquered and sat down with his father on his throne. And now he says that the one who conquers will sit down with him on his throne. He is promising that when he returns to restore all things, his people will reign with him. And they will not just reign with him, they will reign with him in the closest possible intimacy that there is. Not just sitting over there, but sitting with him, sitting beside him on his throne. We can move though from the encouragement to the exhortation. Look at verse 22. Over the last few weeks we've said that throughout the Gospels we hear Jesus issuing the call, let the one who is yours to hear, listen. It functions as an exhortation to a person to open their mind and open their heart to, to what Jesus is saying and to act on it, put it into practice. And hear that it's in Jesus says, he who is in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He is exhorting this church in Laodicea to open their minds open their hearts to what he is saying and to act on it, put it into practice. And friends, as we consider these verses, we are being encouraged to listen to and act on what Jesus is saying. As we see in Revelation 3, the risen Jesus has expressed his concern over the self-sufficient Christians in Laodicea. He has gone on to counsel them to open the door to him. To readmit him into their lives and into their congregation. And he now exhorts them to listen to and act on what he's saying with the promise that if they do so, they will reign with him on his throne. And that's such an encouragement to ourselves. Sometimes, friends, something can be so incredible, it can be so breathtaking that we think to ourselves, this is 
Too good to be true. Too good to be true. Roald Dahl illustrates this in his book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So I've quoted you two, quoted Johnny Cash, and now we've got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie has just won this final golden ticket for a visit to the chocolate factory. And he says, Mother, it's the fifth golden ticket, Mother, and I found it. For about 10 seconds, there was absolute silence in the room. Nobody dared to speak. Nobody dared to move. It was a magic moment. Then very softly, Grandpa Joe said, you're pulling our legs, Charlie. You're having a little joke. I am not, cried Charlie, rushing up to the bed and holding out the large, beautiful golden ticket for him to see. And here we find the risen Jesus and he's holding out the promise and he is holding out the prospect of people sitting with him on his throne and reigning over his glorious new creation. And that promise is given to every person who sees their need, sees their neediness, sees that they desperately need him and they just open the door to him and they say, I need you, Jesus. Psalm Storms writes, No matter how many times I read this promise, I struggle to believe it. And that's not because I doubt its inspiration or accuracy. Jesus meant what he said, and I embrace it. But to think of myself enthroned with Christ is simply more than I can fathom. Others of you may have a better grip on this than I do, but it strikes me as so utterly outlandish not to mention presumptuous and prideful, that I blink at the words and have to pause simply to catch my breath. And you know, friends, that is a promise that is not just given to a famous preacher like Sam Storms, but to every man, every woman, every child who who opens the door to Jesus saying, I need you. I need you. I was saying to a few people this week, I often felt like a spiritual pygmy next to Christine Bestwick. I just felt so small. She was just so close to the Lord. In fact, I even said to, to, I won't mention him tonight, but I said to one of our office bearers last night that I used to feel that Christine could see right into my very soul. She was so close to the Lord. She will be reigning with Christ on his throne in the new creation. And spiritual disasters like myself will be reigning with Christ on his throne. Just because we open the door and say, Jesus, I need you. This morning, the risen Jesus is exhorting us as individuals and as a congregation not to become self-sufficient when it comes to living for him. And he encourages us to think of the glorious reward that awaits those who listen to and act on his word. And the question I leave you with, friend, is, are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? All he's looking for is need. He says, I stand at the door and knock.
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. Let's pray.